Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there's a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. And with SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. And there's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. Told you guys I've got SeatGeek app on my phone, and it is the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I actually went to the first game of the World Series, and you know how I got my ticket? SeatGeek, not lying. Friend of mine, we were on our, we were, we were uh, talking to the phone, saying we got to get a ticket to the World Series, and I said I'll find some, and I use SeatGeek. So there you go, and I got to see the first game of the World Series. Never been before. It was so exciting, and the Dodgers at least won that game. And SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code WILLMORE today. That's promo code W-I-L-M-O-R-E for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore, and you're listening to Black on the Air with Larry Wilmore. I am he, and I'm black, and I'm back. Always good. You know, I make that pun. I know I make that pun every week, and you're probably sick of it, but I just can't stop doing it. It's just too much fun. So, man, so much has happened just in the week that we've been off. I'll try to hint on a lot of things real quick before we uh, go into our interview today. And by the way, I'm so excited about today's interview, talking with uh, the legendary Carl Reiner who is uh, one of my showbiz idols, uh, believe it or not. Um, he's one of those people that has just done everything in the business. And uh, and it's still, he's, you know, he's in his 90s, guys, and he's still just as funny today as he was, you know, when he was nine. I'm sure he was very funny when he was nine. So I'm really looking forward to that. A little levity with everything that's been going on. The first thing I just wanted to hit real quick was um, this last shooting in Texas was just horrible. There's so much that's really, really bad about it. You know, the fact that somebody could just do something like that. I still don't understand the mentality that can go into, first of all, a church where people are arguably at their most vulnerable when they're in a group, you know, in a church setting. And I think they have a video of it, too. I think it was shooting people in the head. I mean, it was terrible. Shooting children, pregnant women. Everything about it was just nasty and evil and just the worst type of stuff that humans are capable of, you know. And then unfortunately, what happens is the reaction to it starts making it about, you know, other things so instantly. We lose connection with the thing that happened so quickly, you know. And this is one of those instances, and people aren't going to be, may not be happy with me about this, but it does happen on both sides, you know on both the right and the left. And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. Like, I understand when people say thoughts and prayers aren't enough. You know, we need legislation. That absolutely makes sense. But sometimes people just go too far with that sentiment where it just sounds so snotty sometimes. It's like, we don't need your thoughts and prayers. We need this. Well, no, you can have both. You can have thoughts and prayers and legislation. 
Both of those things can happen. But let me tell you something. As somebody who's gone through a family member being shot and killed, which I have, you're not thinking about gun legislation as your first thought. You are destroyed as a human being. That person in your life is gone. And believe me, words of encouragement and condolences really do mean a lot. And the people of Texas do need those words of encouragement from us. And yes, some of the people saying it are are politicians who have voted against measures that have not helped this situation. But people attacking don't have to be so snotty about the sentiment itself is what I'm talking about. You don't have to knock that down to have the other. Even if you want to say, yes, thoughts and prayers are important. Let's send those. But let's not forget this. But to just say that we don't need your thoughts and prayers. You know, I'm sorry. People do need thoughts and prayers and they need a lot more. But those are important too. whether you're a religious person or not. You know, it's the fact that the last thing that you have to rely on sometimes is your family and the community. And the fact that people know that you're cared about and you're loved for and you're thought about and all those things. You know, it's not just about legislation to make people feel better. That's important, too. Both of, This is what I'm saying. Both of those things are important. And then on the right, to be so hypocritical about it's too soon to talk about things is also a problem because it's not. When there's a terrorist attack, it's never too soon to talk about measures to take. And it seems like the right is so creative, you know, whenever there's a terrorist attack and people are kids. They're so creative with the measures by which we can, we can stop it. But if something like this happens, you know, a white guy with a gun shooting down people like clay pigeons, suddenly we're helpless and we should just be like even the president. His attitude just really, really annoyed me where his he was so calm when the terrorist thing happened the week before. He was so angry, rightly so, by the way. Those are some of the few times I agree with the president. They should be angry about uh, terrorist attacks, but you should also be angry about these attacks because they're also terrorist attacks. But, you know, suddenly he's soft, you know, well, we don't, I don't know. I, I think there was some mental thing going on, you know, and his first words weren't that, that the guy's an animal and there was evil, you know, it took a while to get that out, but his, he sounds so compassionate about it and everything. And people are just at a loss for what to do. Look, here's the thing. Of course, you cannot completely stop people who are intent on doing evil to other people. It's been happening since the beginning of time. You know, you can have as much, and especially in this country, the reality is we have a Second Amendment. People have guns. Unless you get rid of the Second Amendment and you confiscate people's guns and somehow you find a way to destroy all guns everywhere that people have, are you, ne- are you going to get rid of the problem of someone being shot by a gun? That's never going to happen. On the other side, is it too much to ask to make it harder for people to get these weapons? Is it too much to ask to maybe outlaw certain weapons that people shouldn't have as a private citizen, like weapons of war and that type of thing. Both of those things can be true. When, when, you know, when somebody, uh, we know that we can't stop all terrorist attacks, right? People who are intent on doing things can find ways to do it, right? This is what I'm saying. But it didn't stop us from increasing our security at the TSA, right? I mean, you can't even bring a freaking glass of water in a plane now because it may it may have some element to it. We didn't just throw our hands up and say, well, I guess there's nothing we can do. You know, people are just going to be terrorists. No, we try to do things. Yes, it doesn't stop everything, but at least we make the fucking effort. That's the way it is with guns, too. Make some fucking effort, at least. Don't act like there's nothing you can't do. 
So the people on the right that act like when it's this type of situation, all of a sudden there's nothing we can't do. That's a horrible sentiment to send to people too. It it actually defeats the thoughts and prayers that you just sent them to immediately say there's nothing we can do. People don't want to hear that either. People want to hear that you're at least trying to do something, you know, in a situation like this. I mean, you think about this asshole too. Here's a guy who was discharged from the Air Force, beat his wife, crushed the skull of a child, escaped from a mental hospital. I mean, it really sounds like a horrible like horror film or something like that. And there still wasn't an effort by our, by our system to stop him from buying a gun because God forbid we do something that might infringe on this person's right to own a gun. There's more of an effort in our society to put Meek Mill in prison for smoking weed 10 years ago and making sure he serves prison time than to stop this wife abuser, child abusing, mentally, whatever, an evil person from getting a gun and slaughtering people. That's the kind of society we're living in right now. And it is not encouraging, not encouraging. So those are my words on that. The Air Force is not claiming him at all. They're not even saying he's a veteran. They have actually said he's a criminal, not a veteran. And yet our government says, yeah, but his Second Amendment rights are way too important. I mean, if you smoke weed and you're arrested, I don't even think you can vote anymore. They take away that right, like, immediately. But they want to make sure you hold on to that right to have a gun. Ah, it just makes me so upset. Both sides here, there's, there's, there, there are things going on here that we can look at. But the biggest issue is the way our, our government society handles this particular type of event. It's completely wrong. That shit needs to change. God, there's so many other things going on. As I'm speaking right now, there was a big election yesterday, and uh, everyone was saying <laughs> Democrats are in trouble. Identity politics was this horrible sin by the Democratic Party. You know, they're never going to get over that. You know, last night you had a trans woman beat the guy who introduced the bathroom bill against trans people who won. A gun victim's boyfriend beat a delegate with an A grade from the NRA. And a civil rights lawyer who sued the police department just became a top prosecutor in Philadelphia. I mean... There's there's some feeling going on that uh, people are starting to uh, get out and vote against some of this uh, Trump feeling that I think is in the air. There was a great article, in, I think it was in Politico. They're talking to these people in, in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, about why they still support Trump, even though their lives are still crappy and, you know, minds aren't coming back. And it's just shocking the way that people think. And it always makes me think, too. Identity politics is bad unless it's poor white people who still think we should be working in coal mines. Then identity politics is okay. But if you hear some of these people talking, it's shocking, some of this stuff. Not, I, I, you know, shocking isn't even the right word. It's kind of expected. So I'll treat that out so you can read it. It's a really good article. Uh, Dodgers lost the World Series. <laughs> Rob's real happy about that. Now I'm sad. But Houston, I'm very happy for Houston and for the city of Houston. You guys have been through a lot. You deserve it. Go for it. And they played unbelievably well. So all you baseball fans out there, very happy for that. Oh, the other thing in sports, too. I don't know if you guys saw. I've talked about Lonzo Ball, who's the rookie for the Los Angeles Lakers, and his father, LeVar Ball, right, who I've said, I believe he's an asshole. I don't, I don't think he's doing his sons any good by being so boasty about them, and he really wants the spotlight and everything. So UCLA, so his, another one of his sons plays for UCLA, and they're overseas. They're in China. They're going to play in Shanghai, their first game or something. I think it's against Georgia Tech. And his son, along with two other players, get arrested for shoplifting, like in a Louis Vuitton store. What the fuck? Seriously? I mean, what is that all about? I mean, 
it, you know, and the dad is there with his BBB shirt on, big baller brand, which now I guess has to stand for ballers behind bars, you know. But to me, the reason why I wanted to bring this up, not to pile on this kid or anything, I feel like the dad fosters this sense of entitlement, that his kids are entitled to just greatness or positions and all that stuff. And when you're fostering that all the time, I think it's easy for kids to do these types of things. I'm sorry. You're de- I mean, he's on the trip with him. I can't imagine being on a trip with my father. I'm representing UCLA for Christ's sake. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going to shoplift in a store in China? I mean, I would have been horrified to have done anything like that, let alone to do it with my father there, you know. So that to me is a huge issue. We'll, I'll follow this and update you on it, you know. Uh, last thing I'll talk about real quick. Um, and sorry, guys, I've been a little under the weather, so I don't have all my, all my comedy, uh, <laughs> all my comedy harpoons working at full blast. And there's so much horrible stuff going on, you know. But I just wanted to say how disappointed I am in this whole Kevin Spacey thing. Um, that was one of the, as bad as all of these things are, the fact that somebody would try to co-opt the very emotional and real event of coming out of the closet to cover up your crime of being a sexual predator. I mean, I can't tell you how disgusting that is. It was it was bad on so many levels. And I mean it's it's amazing that the response was as immediate as it was. God bless everybody that caught that shit so fast. Cause he tried to duck and cover, you know, and tried to get away with that bullshit. But uh man, the LGBTQ community, they were not playing. They were like, No, motherfucker. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, you are not using coming out as a shield. I don't think so. And they were on that immediately. But uh, the balls to do something, not even balls, but, you know, just the blindness that people have to do that. And uh, it is amazing to me. I am, uh, this is another one of those things that I'm both happy and horrified, both of those things going on, that these things are coming out and I'm horrified at the things that are coming out at the same time. Hopefully we are at a point in society right now where we won't turn back. I hope that's the case. I hope we're not five years down the road and we see that things have gone back. And the other thing is Ronan Farrell, who I treat as doing the Lord's work by some of his, by his investigative work in this area. But you have to read his New Yorker article. I think it's on the newyorker.com where he talks about the Weinstein spy network and, and someone like David Boyce, who was, uh, I think a Weinstein lawyer who was complicit. I mean, it's like a James Bond movie. Some of the, the forces that they were using to shut people up. So lest you think, lest you start ganging up on people because they don't speak out soon enough because they're afraid of what might happen to them, read an article like this and see what some of the ramifications of trying to speak up have been. Because this is not a fantasy. It's no joke. You know, there's actual bullying that has gone on, not just physical bullying, legal bullying, bullying in people's careers from all kinds of points of view. So, I'm so happy that this is getting out, but it also makes me sad. Ah, I can't keep going on, guys. This is this week has been a really sad week, especially with this shooting. But as I said, I have a great conversation coming up with Carl Reiner. We'll have some fun, talk about uh, his early days in comedy, and uh, try to give you a little levity. Uh, but first, let's uh, let's have a little word from one of our sponsors. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back, everybody, to Black in the Air. I am so excited right now. You have to know, I am with not only a showbiz legend, a person who's responsible for bringing us so many classic things in this business as a writer, director, performer, The Dick Van Dyke Show, Your Show of Shows, The Jerk, The Russians Are Coming. We could go on and on and on. One of my showbiz idols, Mr. Carl Reiner. Carl, thank you so much for thank being Thank you for coming here because you're doing a very big service. Yes. You're letting me talk about myself. <laughs> yes, we are. And thank you for being so gracious, allowing uh, me and our crew into your home. It's very nice of you. No, I'm, I'm mm. so happy. I have this yes. home since 1961. Really? Wow. And I love people coming in to uh-huh. it so I don't have to go out. Yes. I think you figured that out, right? Yes. People, no, people it, come it, here. It's age has done that to me. Yes. Yes. Were you So you don't get out? As, how old are you now, Carl? Can I um, ask? I'm... Uh, Ninety-five and uh, six, three quarters of ninety-five and three quarters. To, when is your birthday? March twentieth. Oh, March twenty. Oh, so yeah. you uh, you're ninety-five and a half, right? Yes, now. Oh, three quarters. Yeah. So you'll yeah. be ninety-six next year. <laughs> the title of my two latest books, and by the way, these, <laughs> this is my, one of my favorite projects of all uh-huh. time. It's called Alive at Ninety Five, recalling movies I love. <laughs> I love that. It's a a four hundred page book containing. Every movie I saw since I was f- five years old, my six years old, my father took me. me to a Bronx movie, yeah, a movie theater, and it was Faust with uh-huh. Emil Janings, yeah. who was Hitler's favorite actor. Oh my goodness! Playing Faust, yeah, and I was scared to death. I watched it through my fingers. Sure, but from that day, I became a movie buff. My father and mother went to the movies at least once a week. Uh-huh. So um, Hitler is partly responsible for your love of movies, yes. I guess one could say. <laughs> anyway, so this goes up right until the time I go in the army. At, yeah. There's photo. There's a poster of every. Oh, by the way, it's it's uh, the movie. The thing it's is in a called, binder right now. It's called for, a lot, uh, movies I love, and in the fly leaf it says and food I love. And yes, I have, I have sushi yeah, on you have one some side and, food in there. and corn. Was it the love of movies that did you think you would go into showbiz when you were? watching the movies back then and in those days? So, uh, I, I didn't know it then, but uh-huh. I did know that when I was very young and uh-huh. I used to listen to the radio, my father sure. always cared about comedians yet. Mm-hmm. And I was able to tell stories to my friends who didn't hear it sure. and embellish something that I'd heard like a Lou Holtz story. He was yeah. one of famous old talking comedians. Right. And so I had that. I didn't know I'd go into show business, though. Yeah. But I had an uncle, Uncle Harry, my mother's brother, mm-hmm. who was in Irving Berlin's first show. Wow. Uh, this is the Army. Mm-hmm. And it was called Yip, it, Yip, Yip, Yap, Hank. It was was called, that the name of the song also, This is the Army? This is the Army, Mr. Yes. Jones. Right. Not, no private mm-hmm. rooms or telephones. Nice. Yeah, written by Irving Berlin. Yeah. Another word about him. You know, every time I say Irving Berlin, I get a little bit of a... Thrill. Uh-huh. I saw a guy named Heschefelder do Berlin. Mm-hmm. Berlin lived to be a hundred, and he wrote wow. like six. I don't know six hundred thousand. He was amazingly prolific. most am- yeah. amazing. And this guy talked about every song he ever wrote mm-hmm. and how he came to write it, yeah. and it was extraordinary. I'm, you know, as a matter of fact, I was. Th- I just wrote about it. Um, Kate Smith used to sing God, God Bless, Bless America. America, Irving Berlin and, song. And Francis Scott Key mm-hmm. wrote a very unsingable yeah. thing that we have to sing in front of ball games. Right. And, and somebody was proselytizing for God Bless America, which yeah. soars. And Irving Berlin was 
that guy. Yeah, did he write White Christmas? He did, and that yeah. was another interesting thing. Yeah. He was a he, he was, was a Jew a writing Jew, White Christmas, and he wrote <laughs> the two definitive songs about holidays: White Christmas yes. and Easter Parade. Yes, and Easter Parade. Yes, In yes. your Easter bonnet with yeah. all the frills. I would join you, but my voice is horrible, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing, and, and uh, you were in the army. Uh, were did you serve in you? You served in the army, right? Yeah, I served in uh, World War Two. In yeah. World War Two, yeah. I, I was a first. I was a teletype operator, uh-huh. and I was on my way someplace. Uh-huh. This I wrote about this because this is so crazy. Some things I wouldn't be here if this hadn't happened. Uh-huh. On my way to some place, and we didn't know where. We're in Seattle, okay. Part, you know, destination unknown. Sure. And I stopped off, and we stopped off in Hawaii to go to destination right. unknown. And I went to see a GI Hamlet with Maurice Evans playing Hamlet. They were playing Maurice it in, Evans, in, uni- wow. in yeah. uniforms, you know. Sure. Army uniform. And my friend Howie Morris, another reason that yeah. I'm here is because of the government. Uh-huh. When I was 17 years old, I went to the NYA radio workshop, uh-huh. a government sponsored program. I had my first. Inc- inclination to be an actor when I went, when I was 16, 17, my brother found an ad in the paper. It said, government sponsored the t- uh, teaching. Yeah. They taught painters, they taught, t- t- and there's great murals in, sure. in uh, all the p- post offices. Well, then and then I went to an acting class. It wasn't such a bad thing for the government to be involved in people's lives. That, that's <laughs> right. what the government's supposed to be for. <laughs> yeah. Get the government off the, get the people off the government's backs. That's what the government's backs are for. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we got a president that doesn't understand. Yeah, we'll come back to that yeah, no, I, in a bit. I you talk- took me away from a tweet. I was just tweeting about oh, it. Oh, sorry. Well, <laughs> by all means, let's get back to that tweet because I, I want to make sure yeah, you I send see, that. I tweeted it out. I want to see how many people answered it. Yeah, I'll retweet it. So, And uh, your first, I guess your first big break was uh, your show of shows. Yeah, I the, think it was. Now, well, my first big break was getting into a Broadway musical. Uh-huh. And, to, and that from that, I got into show shows. Now, did you consider yourself a performer at that time or a writer primarily? No, I was a performer. You're a performer. The only reason I uh-huh. consider myself a writer was that I wrote my material in the yes. Army when I went. Well, you wrote it out of necessity, right? Yeah, I did yeah. the Army shows. Ultimately, when I was in Hawaii, I got pulled out. Sure. And my friend Howie Morris said, hey, do you have an act? I said, no, I'm going someplace. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I auditioned for Maurice Evans. Yeah. And he wanted me, and I said, I'm going someplace. Right. He 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 says, we have, he called General Richardson and traded me like a ball player. <laughs> That's how I became a performer. Well, it's amazing some of the names that you just happened to brush shoulders with when you were just starting out. I mean, when did you, were you and Howard Morris friends growing up? Is that how you know? No, we, from the NYA radio workshop. Oh, that's where you met them. $22 a month mm-hmm. for doing these uh, shows written by Norman Corwin, who lent them yeah. to us. Norman and, Corwin, uh, and who wrote we, some amazing yeah, we, we, uh, and, and radio we were, programs. Yeah. We were the MCs of uh, symphony orchestras. Yeah. And we worked for, you know, $22.50 a month. Yeah. What was it like back then to work? Did, did you think that you had a future in showbiz at that time? Or did oh, you think, yes. I knew it. Yeah. I had to. There was no other no other way to go. I yeah. mean, I, that was the only thing that really bones. pleased me. Yeah. Yeah. And your show of shows, how did you get, how did you get your show of shows with, I mean, Sid well, Caesar, you know, who, 
I mean, he was an amazing performer. I was mm. I was on a show called uh, uh, I forget the name of it, the Fifty Fourth Street Review. Uh-huh. I was I was the MC of it, and uh, and Max Liebman saw the show, and he was right. looking for somebody to be Sid's. You know, foil, uh-huh. and he invited me down. That show lasted about fifteen weeks, and I, I grabbed uh-huh. on it, made a career for me. Yeah, working with the being the second banana to the biggest, most fright banana ever yeah. lived. He was yes. Tell me about Sid. What do people don't know about? Was he really? Did people were people afraid of Sid Caesar? No. Was he threatening? He was a pussy cat. Really? Was, oh yeah. He was, but he yeah. was physically a oh, strong. Oh, physically very yeah. strong. He, he was. He showed it twice. These two stories are so crazy. Uh-huh. Uh, he was riding in in the park in Central Park with a wife and he on horses. They hadn't really. They yeah. were not horsemen, but they rented horses and. <laughs> Sid's wife, Florence, her horse shied, and uh-huh. he rose in the air and almost threw her off. Uh-huh. Sid got off his horse and punched the horse oh my in the God. nose. <laughs> that's, that's the joke and from he Blazing said, Saddles. don't do that right? no more. Did Mel Brooks steal that for Blazing Saddles? Yes, yes, that's exactly yeah, right. look at that. Exactly right. Yes. And then oh there's another God. one, the, the best one of all. Sid had just bought a new car, and uh-huh. he parked it in front of a restaurant, another guy with a little car came over and tried to ease into a space that he couldn't, yeah. and he had to push his car twice. He Uh-oh. bumped it, and Sid was just in the, about to go on the way. He turned around, <laughs> yes. and he knocked on a guy's glass uh, mm-hmm. window. The guy would open the window. He knew what it was. He opened the little the little triangular window sure. there. Sure, right, yeah. And, Sid put his hand through the window, grabbed him by the collar, and said, would you like to relive your birth? (laughs) He was going to pull him through that. He pulled his face right against him. Don't ever do that again to people. It's it's amazing that... One of the a person who's been regarded as one of the funniest people ever had this streak, you know, where it's like you can't mess with him too. He had a lot of emotion. Yeah, he he never hit anybody. Never, yeah. never once. Was that did. story true but about his him anger Mel- came out once? Uh, mm-hmm. Something happened in a in a club. They uh-huh. they were supposed to give him something. They, I don't know. Somebody was up strepers in the audience. It was, didn't work, and he was sure. doing a great act. He went into the. <laughs> His room, his dressing room, was a little sink in the wall. Uh-huh. He pulled the sink out of the wall oh my with God. the plumbing. He was that strong. Was it true that he held Mel Brooks outside of a window? Yes. I don't <laughs> think he held him outside. He leaned him outside. Oh, he leaned yeah. him out. Mel yes. was making fun of something, and they, oh, he yes. didn't come up with something. Right. And he says, uh, "Have you ever, have you ever fallen from a thirty-fourth yes. street?" In Chicago, he he didn't throw him out. He, right. was, he threw very few people out windows. Yes. Uh, but it must have been uh, it must have been a heady time back then. I mean, that you're, the writing staff in your show shows is like a killer's list of some yes, of the best. Yes, every one of those writers, writers went time. forward to be somebody. People like Neil Simon. Yeah. Um, well, Mel well, Brooks, of Mel course. Brooks, Neil Simon, Larry Gelbart. Larry Gelbart. Um, yes. Danny Simon also. Danny Simon, yeah, his brother. But there was a guy named Mike Stewart who used to. He was like the guy who all the jokes would fly, and he put yeah. it down with. With a pencil and then uh-huh. type it out, Larry, and he he ended up. He was a quiet guy. He ended mm-hmm. up writing "Hello Dolly" and about <laughs> really? ten Broadway shows. The writer's assistant writes yeah. "Hello Dolly." That's yeah. how killer. He wrote that about six Broadway shows. <laughs> yeah, 
That's amazing. Uh, there was a, a massive amount of brains in that room. Yeah. Did you have an appreciation at that time for how funny everybody was? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. With Mel Brooks, that's where we started the 2,000-year-old man accidentally. Yeah. That was a good story. I came in and Mel was there. He wasn't working for the show. He was working for Sid Caesar, $35 a joke. Max uh -huh. didn't like him. Max Liebman, he's, he's too noisy and he makes you just too crazy. I can't imagine Mel Brooks getting on anyone's nerves back then. <laughs> anyway, I walked in not knowing who he was. Yeah. And there he's standing up. He's doing a Jewish pirate. A Jewish pirate. Pirate, yeah. Right. He's, and he's, I never forget the first lines. He, mm -hmm. I didn't know who he was. And he's yeah. saying, you know how hard it is to set sail these days? <laughs> you know what they're charging for sailcloth? $3.40 a yard. <laughs> I can't afford to pillage and rape anymore. That was his first line. He makes sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And the following day, I saw a program, We the People Speak, where they talk about yeah. the current events. I came in the office without saying a word. I said, sir, I understand uh -huh. that you lived 2,000 years and you knew Christ. Yeah, he says, yeah, I knew him. He says, Wait a minute, thin lad, right? <laughs> always wore, he always wore sandals, walked around with yeah. 12 other guys. He says, they came into the store a lot, never bought anything. But I gave them water. They were nice boys. That was the first line. So you guys, you just did this off the top of your head. You yes. just started asking Mel questions for in this. Six, he started improvising. For five years, uh -huh. we did it at parties. Yeah. People made parties for us to get up you and You just do did that. it for fun in Absolutely. the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. And we said it was four years after the war, and I said uh -huh. the Jewish accent was persona non grata. Hitler made, you yeah. know, made it clear that it's not easy to be a Jew. Sure. Not a good idea. So we figured term. it was only for our Jewish friends and non-anti-Semitic Gentiles. People who, who felt okay. <laughs> yes. People who felt okay laughing at that because you yes. were so close to it. And that tragedy I, plus time rule. And I the funny so. thing is that mm -hmm. I remember it like it was yesterday at a party, and mm -hmm. one of these— uh, people made parties to give it, and this was one of these A-listed a parties. Showbiz party. There were three mm -hmm. people who was who was sitting there after the, and it was George Burns, the first one who said, uh, oh. "He says, is there an album here? Do you put this <laughs> on an album?" We said, "No, he just put it on an album, or I'll steal it." That's and hilarious. He, and, and he ended up playing God yeah, years I, later, and so I he was right. That movie, yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. And I'll mm -hmm. tell you, at the end, I'll tell you what he told me, the last thing I heard from mm -hmm. him. But the uh, second one was Edward G. Robinson, the very famous actor. And he said, Edward uh, G. Robinson. He said, uh, I like that show. He had a really right. He was a great gangster. Yeah, I like that show. He liked that show. Yeah. He says, I, I like that performance. He says, make a show out of it. Make a play out of it. <laughs> He says, I'd like to play the thousand-year-old man. Oh, that's hilarious. And I said, it's 2,000 years. I can play any age. Oh, that, I never forget that. That's so And funny. the third one was the most blessed man ever, mm -hmm. one of the great men in our business. Um, what's his name? <laughs> what's his name? Yes. No. Uh, oh, Jesus. All of a sudden, I, this is happening to me a lot lately. Oh, that's okay. I understand. Uh, no, the first great... Uh, so, you know, talk show host. Uh, oh, was it Steve Allen? Steve Allen. Yes. Mm -hmm. Steve Allen said, fellas, he says, we have this World Pacific Jazz uh, place where we give concerts. Sure. He says, you take it over, a recording studio. He says, and he didn't want to have anything to do with it. He loved to send uh -huh. out comedians. He's take it over. And we did. We got, or, or, in, 
So invited uh, 300 people, whaled for two hours, cut it down to 47 minutes. And did you guys improvise two hours of that? You improvised it? Oh, yes. Mel never knew the question I was going to ask. Was I never knew what he was going to My only problem was I had to bite my lip sometime not yeah. to get laughter in the album. Yes. You know, never laugh at your own jokes. Right. But that's the only thing problem I had with it. And Carl, you, you've been called the greatest straight man ever, which I believe too. But people, you're... <laughs> You're the funniest straight man ever, too. Well, you know, something yeah. I found out, which I didn't know, yeah. in the old vaudeville days, yeah. when there was an um, an act, sure. comedy act. Like Gallagher and Sheen or something like the, that. The mm-hmm. straight man owned the act, and very often mm-hmm. would switch comedians until he found the one he liked. Oh, really? It started, I read a history of it, uh-huh. three or four of them, exactly the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, wow, it's such an amazing, 2,000-year-old man, guys, it... And that was in the era of the the comedy album. Yes. The comedy album was such a yes, it's such a, a great cultural thing that isn't really around anymore. No. You know, where you put well, it we up. have uh, we have cable now. We have a lot yeah. of great comedians. But there was something about listening to comedy that's different than watching it, isn't it? I know. Yeah, and listening to two thousand year old man. And please, maybe we can play a clip from it. You know. Later, something, but there's something about listening to you and Mel and the chemistry that you had back then. I mean, you had that chemistry with um, with Sid, you know, when you would ask the professor questions. Yeah, but those were yeah. written questions. Yeah, those were written, yeah, though, yeah. yeah. Even though he looked like he was ad-libbing. When oh, he well, was Sid singing. did ad-lib. Sid, yeah. when, uh, Sid was one of these guys, when the audience started laughing, he did what any comedian did in vaudeville. Yeah. He, he kept working on it. If you like this, I, I'll find more. And he did. And they were live shows he always at the time, more. too, yeah. So from there, now, from there, you ended up uh, creating one of the greatest TV shows ever, The Dick Van Dyke Show. Um, when did you get the idea for the Dick Van Dyke show? You know, the funny thing is, right after I did the show of shows, mm-hmm. uh, the the format was now finished. Not until Carol Burnett brought it back. And boy, did she bring it back 10 years later. That type of sketch yeah, comedy sketch show. Sketch comedy. Right. Yeah, they have music, variety shows, but musical, not that pure sketch, sketch comedy. Show. Yeah. And so I was offered a lot of... Um, and, they, and I read a couple of them. They mm-hmm. weren't very good. Yeah. Situation comedies. And my wife, in her infinite wisdom, said, mm-hmm. "Why don't you write one?" I said, "I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to write." And fi- we were going to Far Island that year. And on my way to the island, I said to myself, "And I talk. I recommend this talk out loud yes. because you might." Carl Ryan says, "Talk to yourself. Talk yes. to yourself." <laughs> I said, "What piece of ground do you stand on that nobody else stands on?" Uh-huh. I said, "Well, I live in New Rochelle with wife and two kids." Mm-hmm. I work in New York as a actor, writer on the show, write about that. Yeah. So I wrote a thing called Head of the Family. Mm-hmm. And Fire Island, I wrote 13 episodes because I figured if I did the show, I want to have a template for other writers to know, sure. like a Bible and, for And them. you're not even considering yourself a writer, really. You're yeah. just thinking of yourself as a performer. I, and you're kind of writing as a means to get this a, done. Absolutely. Yes, something right. I understood. Sure. And... Uh, and so I had these 13 episodes, and we did a pilot with Barbara Britton, Morty Gunthy, and Sylvia Miles playing the other two parts. And were you playing the head of the family? I played the head, okay. and we, 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 we filmed it not in front of an audience. Uh-huh. You know, we put the laughter in later, and it wasn't very good. It was, yeah. o- it was okay. <laughs> right. Was and anyone we, producing I, it at the time, or did you just uh, do no, it? No, we produced it, but okay. it, wasn't, it wasn't very good. And I started to write a movie for Doris Day, The Thrill of It All. I was on mm. my way to that. Yeah. And there were these 13 episodes, and Sheldon Leonard and Danny Thomas, mm-hmm. my age, we had a mutual agent. They read it, and they called me in, and they said, 
we'd love to, we think these are wonderful sh hmm. uh, episodes. I said, the fellows, I don't want to fail twice with the same material. Wow. And Sheldon said, you won't fail. We'll get a better actor to play you. <laughs> By the way. And he did. Um, I'm a huge uh, old radio show uh, buff. You know, that is a great impression of Sheldon Leonard. Sheldon Leonard was such an interesting character in he showbiz. He was. His voice is one of the most iconic voices. Know. You know, Sheldon Leonard? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. he, he was a bartender in one, originally in the... Some movie, I guess it started. It's a wonderful life. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful life. life. He was right. in that, yeah. He's, but uh, he was a, as good a no, executive producer. He was an amazing he, producer. He was he's a, produced a, some classics. Yes. But he had a good enough eye to see that those were that that was a good show. That yes, that, that no you question had written. about. And then uh, you decided you didn't want to play that part again, or did they say no? I as soon as. Uh, he said, uh, we'll get a better actor to play. Oh, you will get a better and actor. And he suggested right. Dick Van Dyke. He oh, said, that came from him. Okay. Dick Van Dyke was in the play in New York, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, two, uh, um, with um, Cheetah Rivera. Mm -hmm. And I went to see it, and he was wonderful. And yeah. I, of course, Dick Van Dyke may be the single most all around talented man it, ever. Is he underrated as a talent? You know, I don't think so because everybody's coming out now. Steve Martin, yeah. who is, I consider a genius. Yes. The other day said, and I called Dick and told him, he said, the single greatest all-around talent ever in our business is Dick Van Dyke. Wow. Of course, he can do everything. He can. At this age, yes. he can still dance on roofs. It's amazing. Yeah, he's it an really amazing, is. amazing character. I thought one of, there are a few things that, to me, are indelible and amazing about the Dick Van Dyke show. One of the things is the timelessness of it. I believe you can watch it now and still enjoy that show. You know, that's funny. Mm -hmm. Somebody else noticed that, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, for two things are happening. They're colorizing two or, th two or three really? of them. Really? I like and them on black Christmas and white, yeah. time, they'll be on. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it works well, I may colorize sure. them all. Sure. But somebody had an idea, and this is in the offing. The dialogue is sort of fresh. Uh, by the way, when I started the show, I knew it was going to last longer than— I said it'll probably last a longer time uh -huh. if we do two things— no slang of the day, yeah, and no political things that to, oh, interesting. to date it. So it's only about relationships between husbands and wives, right. and parents and and workers with their bosses. I said everybody's got that, and that's what we stuck to that. So you consciously wanted it to oh, feel yes. evergreen. I knew, it was, yes. and somebody just said they're thinking of making twenty-five minute just the, the dialogue uh -huh. and playing it on on. Uh, uh, on a radio show, yeah. so you know, go to, you can listen to it on a radio. That's amazing. and it works. They tried it and it works. Yeah. <laughs> Phil Rosenthal, who uh, created Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, I love her. Um, I think we had dinner with you like yes, yes. in the early two thousands. Right, right. Um, we we used to do this thing at the Museum of Television Radio. Myself, Judd Apatow, Phil Rosenthal. We hosted people like Carl and Sid Caesar. We just wanted to appreciate you guys at the By time. By the way, I, mm -hmm. we got We just have to tip our hat a little bit. We would. We met a long time yes, ago. Yes, we did. And we met because he, you were running the uh, yes the, the show called the Bernie Mac the show. The Bernie Mac show. And we were talking uh -huh. about him. He may be the single most talented. He should have been. He should have been winning all awards. Yes. And he would have if he had lived. Yes. But the saddest thing, Bernie Mac, who said, "I'm not going to be here long because I have this thing of family." Yeah, he told you that. And yeah. I, he was so strong, and yeah. he looked. His eyes were sharp. He smiled. I, I thought he was, he had to be kidding. Yeah. And he left us at 50. It was two of the highlights of my life um, to work with Bernie Mac and 
create the Bernie Mac show. And then we had you, Carl Reiner, as a guest. I wonder while we're talking to people ever heard the name yeah. Bernie Mac, but if you didn't, Google it. Because yes. He's oh, worth no. Knowing. Believe me. Yeah. People were listening to this. No, Bernie is, you know. But uh, I remember his two idols were you and Don Rickles. Those are his two idols. <laughs> oh, and John Jim Rickles. Is. I just love yes. Don Rickles. And we had both of you guys on the show. It was amazing, yeah. you know. But uh, he he loved you, as I do, too, of course, you know. But I'll never forget at the time, if I can tell this story real quick. Yes, yes. So we had lunch with you before we were going to do it, and and we were all, it was me and one of the producers. I don't remember if Bernie was at the lunch or not. I'm not sure. But I'm like, you know, you're Carl Reiner, the legend of showbiz, <laughs> and you're telling stories. And, you know, and we're kind of sitting at your feet, just kind of just taking it all in. And it was so much fun. You know, in fact, I remember I showed you, I don't know if you remember this, but I showed you a magic trick because you said sometimes you would have lunch with Johnny Carson and Steve yeah, yeah. Martin back then. And I said, let me show you a magic trick. and You can fool them with it, you know. But I was so like, it was so much fun to be there with you, this guy who, you know, you, you, there was just flair about you. Then we go on set, and I'm going to tell this. So now you're Carl Reiner, the actor, you know, and we're doing the scene, and you're like, is that okay? Do they? I'm like, what are you talking about? You're you're Carl Reiner. You're a legend. Of course that's okay. <laughs> and it was so funny to see you, to see that change and how it doesn't matter where you are as a, a performer, whatever, you have different ways that you are in the business. And then the third part of it was you were doing a reunion show for, for Dick Van Dyke. Right. And I was lucky to be on set, and Dick Van Dyke is there, Mary is there, and even Rosemary and some of the people. And now you're Carl Reiner, the showrunner, and I could see all the relationships go back to like it was 1963. Right. Like even Mary Tyler Moore, it looks like she's a young woman <laughs> talking to you. You're the. Bu- I mean, it was amazing how the dynamics didn't change. You know, know? that was yeah. when, and whenever I'm asked what's the favorite thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. I say hands down the Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. No question about it. Yeah. And it's funny where you say you didn't tackle um, certain things, but you did. You, I think you kind of sneakily did some social issues. Oh, like, sure. Oh, yeah. Well, As a matter of fact, my, one, of my, one of my thrusts was to get an African-American in the show. Yeah. We lived in a white neighborhood, and yeah. I remember yes. working very hard. <laughs> and one show, I wrote a show, and I had the— uh, not Godfrey Cambridge. Well, Godfrey Cambridge was on an episode. Yeah, God, yes. Godfrey Cambridge. It wasn't yeah. the other guy who just died. What well, Greg it? Morris was on yeah, an episode. Yeah, yeah right, but right. Uh, that was the second yes. one. But the Godfrey, Godfrey Cambridge was a. I had him play an FBI yes, agent. Yes, I remember that. Who yeah. needed their house to survey another house across? <laughs> yes, and yes. I remember the census or the somebody sponsor right. saying. Are there African American uh, FBI, FBI agents? I said, "Well, there are now." You're like, maybe the B stands for black. How about <laughs> <Yeah>. that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are now, and and it worked fine, and nobody objected. But yeah. the one thing that we did, one of the best shows we ever did, uh-huh. was that's my boy. Where yeah. they're pretty sure they got the wrong baby at the yes. hospital. Yes, yes, and, yes. Uh, and people who are going to come over. Their names were similar to the Petries and the Peters, uh-huh. and the Peters were going to come over because they got something of theirs, yeah. and they were sure it's the baby, but it was some some chocolates or something that that they got or flowers. Uh-huh. And when they come over, and it's Greg Morris, yes. the biggest laugh you've ever heard. And I remember the the censor saying, uh, "You know, is this in good taste?" I said, "The audience will tell us." Mm-hmm. I said, our heart's in the right place, yeah. so it's in good taste. Yeah. And and it was. And he, he put in the tag, I said, and they, they both had kids now go to mm-hmm. school years later, and they're very proud of their son who's a, yeah. an A student, 
and Richie's a C student. Yeah. So we put that little addenda right. in. It's funny how, I mean, eight, ten years later, we'd get all in the family where, you know, social issues were just, I mean, just blatantly in your face. And here you're doing the most subtle of takes on a social issue, and you have censors worried about it and that sort of thing. It's really I must say, in, in, in their favor, they worried about that we'd be offensive to the to the African-Americans. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah there was both. There were both. both I said, listen it. to yours, and you'll see. Yeah. I said, our hearts are there, so yeah. they'll be there, too. And after Dick Van Dyke, then you started, uh, you know, you did a lot of things, of course, but you started directing yeah. more and more, and uh, another classic movie. And guys, please... Uh, Netflix, wherever you can find these movies, if you haven't seen them, the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming. Still, like the Dick Van Dyke show, one of the funniest movies you can watch. And one of the funniest casts, too. Yes. Oh, yeah. my God, we had, uh, you mentioned Don Rickles. We had every, yeah. every wonderful comedian. Oh, that guy who passed Alan away. Alan uh, No, who's the Whittle? Um, oh, was it Jonathan Winters? Jonathan yes. Winters. Yes, he was hilarious. Yeah. He once started with a piece of wood. On the set, uh-huh. went offset when we were waiting for a square piece of wood, and by the time we're in there, he had a perfect wooden egg. He had, <laughs> had yeah. whittled an egg out of it. What what kind of drew you to directing at that time? Well, why you know did you what drew me to directing? Mm-hmm. I had written something that was a written a movie, I guess, mm-hmm. that was di- directed by somebody, and and when he cut it and put it together, it was so. I said, no, no. I said, you don't use a close-up of somebody when a joke is said to see the reaction. I said, reaction should be between the two of them, with Mm -hmm. one looking. See, it was so badly. I decided I better direct to to save my material. So the second movie I wrote, I directed because I wanted to uh, Mm -hmm. be there. And and by the way, the best thing you can do about directing is hire actors who don't need directing. And Uh that's what I did. That's what Hitchcock did. Yeah, Yeah, Hitchcock, I think, rarely gave direction to actors. Oh, he was something. I loved him. Uh, uh, Good evening. Yes. (laughs) Another... uh, Famous movie that you directed was The Jerk, of course, with Steve Martin. Were you a fan of Steve Martin when he first came out oh of that stuff? Oh, my God. Was it? I knew Steve Martin from uh, uh, The Smothers Brothers. Smothers Brothers. He was one of the yeah, writers. My, yeah. my brother, my brother, my son Rob was on the show. Yeah. And Steve. Yeah, held Rob like that. Yeah. <laughs> my brother. <what>? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Steve, uh, to this day, I consider a renaissance man. Yes. He knows more about anything. And what a writer. Yeah. His book, Born Standing Up, his yeah, biography. It's brilliant. One yeah. of the best biographies ever written. One of the saddest. Yeah. Because here's this guy with all the talent, and his family never noticed him. Yeah. His father never His father never. No, yeah. He was, he was, his first time on SNL. He, he performed, yeah. and his father was writing for the Wall Street, not Wall Street, a real estate journal, mm-hmm. and he's Steve Martin was on the show. He could have been a lot funnier. Yeah. Imagine your parents saying I that. Know. My mother used to say, every time she saw me, you were the best one. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And she only complained that they don't give you enough to That's do. That's hilarious. Yeah. What do you think is the most important ingredient to being funny? Is uh, don't try to be funny. Yeah. Either you are, either you, you think got it or you ain't. Do you think you're born with it? Two things: environmental mm-hmm. and, uh, as you yeah. say, born with it. Right. Yeah. And there's no question about it. But I think the environment is too. Environment My helps. parents yeah. loved comedies: the Ritz Brothers, the Marx Brothers. Yeah. Uh, we always went to see comedies, mm-hmm. and the radio never 
Mr. Jack Benny show, yeah. the Fred Allen show. Um, and and so there there it is. But also having a funny bone helps too. Yes, There exactly. are people who listen to comedy and would rather be doing something else. Yeah. I remember, uh, I don't know if you remember this conversation, but I think at that lunch, <laughs> it was very funny where you thought that, well, I shouldn't say you thought that, but you were saying that you didn't think conservatives were funny, but that liberals were funny. That what? <laughs> you said you didn't. <laughs> you, there, you said I just I don't see many funny conservatives out there. Well, There's, what they do uh, is they'll give us fodder. They uh-huh. do. Mr. Trump is fodder for uh, yeah. for comedians. My God, the comedians are making a living off them. The, yeah. the nighttime can be from Colbert to Fallon to Kimmel to all, all those guys. Yeah. Seth Meyers. They, they, uh, and of Trevor Noah, my God, he goes, he goes, I just watched them just now. Yeah. Do you find it, is it, can you laugh at, I know you're a political person too, and you tweet. No a, question about it. A lot of times. And, uh, do do you find what's going on in the world, do you find that it's better for you to find what's funny about it? Or do you have a different approach? Like, no, like, like I what keeps I don't, you sane? No, I don't like, I don't, there's nothing funny about it. Uh-huh. But humor Keeps you living. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, if you can't smile, if you can't find a reason to make yourself happy, yeah. you give up. People, right. you know, it's one of those things innate in people. They mm-hmm. would rather, they'd rather turn away from something and go to something that makes them smile. Yeah. But uh, you can't, uh, you can't not stay in the world. Yeah. This guy makes you stay in the do, world. Do you think humor is the thing that, that keeps you going? Keeps everybody going. Mm-hmm. I think it keeps everybody going. It def- it, it uh, takes the air out of the bad air out of a room. Yeah, they say a, a lot of com- comedians complain these days about political correctness that it's hard to to get laughs and certain things. Do you think people ever? Like, here's an interesting question for a girl. Do you think people that are funny? Do you think they stop being funny at some point, or do you think the audience just get tired of laughing at that particular oh, thing? I never thought about it. No, I know. It's no, hard to say. You know, no, there people, are some people who cannot not be funny. And when they get out there, you just start smiling when they right. walk out. And now we have such glib people who are, they're new comedians that they talk too fast for me. I don't. Can't keep up. I'm, I'm, yeah. It, it, the world has changed an awful lot. The music, I don't understand at all. Yes. <laughs> but I do understand the scat singers. I love the, I mm-hmm. love them, you know. Yes. They, what are, they don't call it scat. What do they call it? The, oh, you mean rap? Is rap, that yeah. yeah. They're yeah. very talented. I call it scat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what other people call it. Yeah. Um, I remember once you said, uh, I think you used the term, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you used the term you're a Jewish atheist. Is that the term? Yeah, well, I was, yes, exactly. I'm a confirmed yeah. atheist. You're a confirmed born Jew, atheist. Born Jewish. And I I love the fact Jews, like every other, every every ethnicity, takes great pride mm-hmm. when finding that somebody is of their, right. know, yes, exactly. whatever it is. So the, athe- so the Jewish atheists were very happy to find another Jewish atheist yeah. when, you, oh, yeah. <laughs> when you were confirmed. No, the thing is, I... I I wasn't an atheist as a kid, but mm-hmm. I think after Hitler, mm. my thought was, you know something? How mm-hmm. many people died yeah. in the, six million Jews? Six hundred sure. million. Many, many millions. I said, I said they must have all been praying and saying, "Oh dear God, mm-hmm. stop this madman!" And I said, "What was he doing? Making flowers or?" Mm-hmm. What was he doing? You know, I mean, looking at. Yeah. I said maybe there's nobody there, mm-hmm. and of course, then I realized 
There is a God. It's the guy in your head. That's uh-huh. you are God. By the way, the end of this book. I Carl Reiner, the book is too busy to die. Yeah, I'm going to do something that I. <laughs> mm-hmm. from Carl's my own opening work. the book, you guys, and he's yeah. going. He's going from oh, the back yeah. first. There are 13 things about the Almighty that are never mentioned anywhere. I personally know that he has a chronic back condition. His <laughs> knee joints ache. He's allergic to shellfish and mustard. He, his prostate is moderately enlarged. Oh my God. He often sings off key. He has he hates wars but can't think of a way to stop them. Yeah. He loves to check out a woman's legs as she passes by. He is upset by the unfair distribution of wealth. He loves to laugh. He gets goosebumps when a great tenor hits a high C. He hates that comedies rarely if ever win Oscars. <laughs> he loves sushi, especially Unagi. He hates talking to anyone wearing a tongue ring. He would like to replace the Ten Commandments with one commandment that covers everything. Thou shalt not hurt anybody. Yes. How do I know these things about God? I am man, and I was told that I was created in his image. Wow. And there I put my picture. So everybody who wants to know what yeah. God looks like, put all of your peccadillos there and yes. put your picture there. That's what God looks like. Well, cause they He's say in us. We man are was God. made in God's image. We invented him, so we yes. are him. Yes. We needed him. When we said, mm-hmm. that's why we invented him, because we used to pray to conch shells and and uh, rocks yeah. it didn't work. So then we said, must be something up there. Yeah. My friend of mine, Tony Stewart, who was a writer on the show shows, mm-hmm. wrote a play once called God Almighty, which the end, I just adored it. Mm-hmm. There was one scene where man dies and goes to heaven, and he meets God, and God looks at him, and he says, who are you? He says, I'm man. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry? He says, I'm man, you created me. I created you? He says, I don't remember creating you. <laughs> he says, I remember creating ants, those little insects. Of course, they can carry something 1,800 sides. <laughs> I appreciate that. And flowers, I love flowers. I remember the colors. And the, mm-hmm. I don't remember you. What do you do? Show me what you do. And this is brilliant. Wow. He started doing a soft shoe across the stage, uh-huh. the man. And, and the truth of the matter is there's nothing that defines man's grace and who he is than watching, you know, Gene Kelly or somebody sure. who is there do a soft shoe. He does a soft shoe, and God looks and finish, and he said, can you teach me that? Huh. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it ends with God on stage mm-hmm. looking at wars and pestilence and what's all going on. Yeah. And it, as the lights dim, you see the Lord looking up and going like this. He's looking for God, right. too. Amazing. I think we always try to find more meaning in things, whether, yeah. you know, real or imagined or that type of thing. What, how did, what, do you, what gives you hope these days, Carl, when you look and see the things that are happening um, in the man, world? Man, when, uh, you know, it was Sean O'Casey who said, man has always been, uh, had the, uh, the, the choice of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And when he has to really figure out, he always chooses good. For he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow. <laughs> and so Casey, uh, there's a tape of him mm-hmm. singing, he's a jolly fellow going up a staircase in his home in, in Ireland all uh-huh. the way to his house and waving. And that's, that's the way I feel about it. 
Really? That that people ultimately, do you think people ultimately are good? Oh, I think so, too. Mm-hmm. I think they're ultimately good. Yeah. We wouldn't have the world we have today if people yeah. weren't good. Yeah. And every once in a while, bad people try to stop the good people from doing their good things. Yes. And other good people stop those bad people from trying to stop the good people. Yes. Um, before we go, thank you so much for talking to me. I do want to talk about your book a little bit more. Now, it's called Too Busy to Die? Yeah, Too right? Busy to Die. So why are you too busy to die? Not that I want you to die. But. Yeah, that was funny. When I, f- <laughs> I finished three uh, biographies, I wrote one called... Uh, I remember me. Yes. Then I wrote what I forgot to remember when I remember things I should have remembered. Uh-huh. And the third one was called, uh, oh, when does I remember me? When I forgot to remember things. I, I forget what the third one was called. Yes. I just remembered. I just remembered. I just no, remembered. the second one is I just remembered. I remember me. I just remembered and what I forgot to remember. And Mel was sitting right there and I said, Mel, I finished it. What do I do now? And he said, too busy to die. He gave me a title. <laughs> and so I wrote this one. And I think this is one of my best. It's a beautiful book, by the way. Um, everybody out there. Oh, yeah. there's a, Look at that lovely picture. I mean, some of the pictures of Mary it. Mary Tyler Moore, you just flipped it. Yeah, She yeah, had yeah. just passed away when yeah. I finished it. Who, who had just passed away? Mary. Oh, Mary Tyler Moore, yeah. The very end is. Do you have any? What, are, what is your uh, nicest memory of Mary Tyler Moore? You know, the nicest memory of her was the first time I saw her. Uh-huh. I saw 23 women to play. The, when I, Dick Van Dyke was the only person that he was considered the only one for the part. Right? Yeah. And then I I remember say, saying to Sheldon, I, gee, I, I don't know. I, I've seen so many women. I uh, I don't know who the right one is. Mm-hmm. When the right one comes by, you'll know, he said. Yeah. Anyway, 23 women, literally 23 women. I remember one woman we... Very, Aline Brennan, a very wonderful very actress. Yes, yeah, she's we, great. We flew her from New York. It's the only one we paid to come in. Mm-hmm. And she was wonderful, but a little too strong for yeah. for Dick, who was sort of lame. So I, Sheldon Leonard and Danny Thomas, mm-hmm. and I said to Danny, I said, uh, uh, we we paid this. I showed him the clip, and he said, no, you're right. Mm-hmm. And he says, who was that girl she played on Richard Diamond. You only saw her legs. Hmm. She came in to read for me. She had three three names, and uh, and she was perfect. But she said nobody, uh, nobody would believe that her nose, which went this way, and mine went goes this, that would be related. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I looked it up. It was Mary Tyler Moore? Uh-huh. I found her, and I called her, and she reluctantly came in. Really? And she said that she had done a couple of inter- interviews that week, and it didn't go well. Mm-hmm. When she walked through the door. I, I saw that dark, beautiful hair, the yeah. best smile, big eyes that shone, and those lovely legs. And I remember, I remember, I gave her a page to read. Mm-hmm. I said, "Read," and she read one line. And I made my hand into a claw, like they do at the at the arcades. At the carnival, yeah, yeah. I went across the room and I grabbed the top of her head, pulled her, and I walked her down the hall. And I mm-hmm. said, "Sheldon, I found her," this and I it. released her. That's funny. I said, "I found the girl you talked to." She's like, "What are you yeah. doing?" <laughs> well, anyway, she never disappointed. No, not she at all. She is the most talented woman I've ever worked with. Yeah, and what an amazing show! Amazing. She can do anything. She can sing. She can dance. Yeah. And when when she and Dick dance, I melted. Yeah, and melted every week. Yeah, it was really like a, America's couple in they many were. ways. Yeah, they kind of, and it's funny that it kind of mirrored like the White House at the time almost with 
yeah. Jack and Jackie, yeah, right, you know, right. and that type of, especially when you look back, it, it was almost like a mirror to what that yeah. Camelot period was. You know, you Dick, know. Dick was, uh, when I chose her, Dick said, nobody's going to believe it. She, I think there was 11 years difference. Oh, really? Said, They're not going to believe. Mm-hmm. Not one person ever said they don't belong together. Yeah. I mean, they, it's the first time they kissed on the first show that was it. That Just was goes it. to show, yeah. So, everybody, this book is called Too Busy to Die. And you can get it on randomcontent.com. Is that right? Yes. And Random we'll be content. Very, and by the way, if you any book you buy of mine or any of the books, yes. you get a free book called How to Live Forever. <laughs> I saw this book. This you is an got, amazing. I gave you, you gave one. me one. Carl mm-hmm. gave me this book, How to Live Forever. Now, this is an amazing book. How to Live Forever is amazing because it's just like one sentence, right? Don't, don't, t- don't oh, give it don't away. Don't tell them away. Yeah, don't the, the first sentences are right. very important. The first sentence is very important. Very important. Yes, yes. Right. Well, you can read the first sentence. Yes. First sentence <laughs> says, uh, start a project. Right. Uh, uh, work on it. Improve it. And when you improve or you approve of your improvements, start a new project. Right. That's the first sentence. That's the most important sentence. And then sentence. it goes on to tell you. Exactly it what goes you need to there. know. Yes, it goes on from there. It's brilliant. The wisdom in that book is amazing. And it's, by the way, I wrote it. I didn't write it alone. It's called How to Live for Him. I wrote it with this Pakistani man, How to Live Forever by Someone Who Has. Yes. Someone Who I Has. I saw that, yes. And, uh, and a, Carl Reiner. It's a very traditional name. Yeah. Yes. Is Mel Brooks the funniest person you have ever met in your life? I think Mel Brooks is by far the funniest person yeah. I've ever met in my uh-huh. whole life. Yeah. And just when you think he's he's done it all, he's got a um, musical playing in London now. He just got back, mm-hmm. uh, Young Frankenstein, the sure. musical. Mm-hmm. And I saw it when it first came out in Seattle. Mm-hmm. He, My wife and I, and I couldn't, I was amazed at the amount of, Great lyrics. Well, he's improved it since then. Mm -hmm. And since then, he has become both Gilbert and Sullivan. Wow. He has written most interstitial lyrics I've ever heard. Isn't it amazing? Since Gilbert and Sullivan. Are you amazed at Mel that he's still doing this? Yeah, and he's written the the music too. He's very musical. He used to be a drummer, but he can't write music. So he he picks it out and somebody puts it down. It, it's extraordinary, extraordinary. He never ceases yeah. to amaze me. Yeah. Do you guys still get together? Yeah, he sits right there. Oh, Mel Brooks sits <laughs> where I'm sitting, you guys. What? Yeah, he, he's back now. He'll be yeah. here tonight, I think. All right. Larry Wilmore, I must yeah. tell you, it's such a pleasure to see you. Oh, it's... It's been a long time since we... With Bernie Mac, that was a such a dear, dear person, and there yeah. you were. Uh, it's a long history. Well, then one last thing, Carl. Do you have any other thoughts about uh, about this current administration or anything you want to say that you can't fit in a tweet? Because a tweet, they do give you 280 characters now. I don't know if you know that. Well, you they know, I, I think uh, what I've been tweeting lately is basically what's happening is that he's imploding. Mm-hmm. All of those people are coming forward or being in, investigated yeah. in closed sessions, and that some of them risk jail time a few of them are wearing uh, ankle bracelets now yeah. uh, the, the manafort and those manafort, yeah. I'm a, and when you read about the amount of deals he made through the years and the russian connection which is now shown to be absolute i mean they've got all the proof they need that they colluded to, yeah. to get hillary you know, uh, thrown at, and him saying lock her up and all that. <laughs> the most hideous. No, don't even get me started. You know, I, yeah. I saw a Hillary being interviewed on some show lately. Mm-hmm. 
the difference and somebody who knows. I mean, she was the secretary of state. Yeah. She really knows how government works. There's one thing about Hillary that really endears me to her. Mm-hmm. When she was 16 years old, this is a kid. Yeah. She got become became interested in indigent children who had no sure. parents, and she started a little thing where she helped young little kids who needed parenting or yeah. needed food, and, and she had a, an organization going when she was a kid. And one of her professors in college said, "This is the single brightest woman he's ever graduated from that, and she's going to go on to be something great." Yeah. And she was. I mean, when you hear her speak now. She, and then one of the things, one of the ugliest things I've ever seen uh-huh. was the debate number three, where she's talking to the audience. Oh, yeah. And, I know you're and there's a, a behemoth behind her. Yeah. <laughs> Every place she walked, he walked two that feet behind bizarre. her. That was That was just kind of creepy, right? That was the creep. We have the creepiest right. president we've ever had. His his ratings now are the lowest in the history of the country. Yeah. So that's the thing. I. Uh, what, what was the question? <laughs> no, you answered it. Believe me, <laughs> uh, you answered it. But uh, yeah. anyhow, I'm so happy that you're too busy to die. <laughs> and I love this. But guys, this book is fantastic. About there's some the pictures alone, and then you change the font partway through. It gets to be bigger <laughs> font. Things yeah. like that, but there's so much good in here. But thank you so much, Carl, for being on um, Black in the Air. And thank you for coming here so I didn't have to go anyplace. Yes. 